Amen. Thank you. So we've been walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke during the season of Lent. Lent is the season before Easter. And I, I hope you've enjoyed this journey that we've been on so far. Uh, and we've talked about, and I've talked about how Luke is written as kind of a travel document. It's going someplace. We are headed to Jerusalem. That's where Luke is taking us, as Jesus is ultimately taking us from Bethlehem through Galilee to Jerusalem. And in fact, part two of Luke, which is the book of Acts, is also a travel document, just in case you didn't know as well. And it goes from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. And so here we are in Luke chapter 19, and we finally arrived in Jerusalem. You know that feeling when you've been on a long road trip and you finally see the city limit signs where you're headed? It's that feeling of relief, that feeling of we're finally here, uh, that feeling of excitement, especially if it's a vacation or you're going to see loved ones or family, you're excited, we're, we've arrived, we've gotten here. Uh, maybe even that feeling of I'm glad I'm getting out of the car, you know, or wherever you've been. Uh, we are on this last stretch to Jerusalem, uh, and Jesus is about to enter. And if you remember last week, last week we were in the city of Jericho, and we talked about how Jesus was going to Jericho, through Jericho to get to Jerusalem, and he, uh, and he stopped there with uh, Zacchaeus. And Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. It's uh, east, uh, a little bit uh, east and north of Jerusalem. And the road from Jericho to Jerusalem goes up. It's an uphill climb. It ascends about 3,000 feet through the desert as it winds up to go to Jerusalem. It's not an easy trek. In fact, it would have probably taken the disciples six to eight hours to climb up that road to get into Jerusalem. And I'm sure they tried to start early. Uh, they didn't want to get there after sunset. Uh, there were, as often known, that robbers would uh, hang out on that road uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. But this road from Jericho to Jerusalem, it goes through the Mount of Olives, on the backside of the Mount of Olives, through Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem, and then down through the Kidron Valley, and then up into Jerusalem, into the Temple Mount. Now the Mount of Olives, it's about 2,600 feet above sea level. It's just east of Jerusalem, and it overlooks the city. So if you, any of you who've been there, if you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look west, you would see the whole outline of Jerusalem. And if you lived during Jesus' day, you would have seen uh, the temple walls and the gates and the temple coming up, rising up in Jerusalem. It's quite a sight to behold. Also on the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed the night in which he was betrayed. He liked to hang out there as well. Uh, the Mount of Olives has four little peaks there, and it's kind of some flattened areas as well. Uh, and Bethany is the place where Jesus often stayed the night, just outside of Jerusalem, because it was only a mile or two walk outside of the city, and he liked to go out there and stay the night in Jerusalem. And near uh, Bethany is the town of Bethpage, where Jesus directs his disciples 
to prepare for the entry into Jerusalem. It's only about a mile outside of Jerusalem. And the town is called El Azariah today in honor of Lazarus, who was raised from the death in that area, El Azariah. And we see that as Jesus is traveling into Jerusalem, he intentionally stops. He stops his journey and he tells two of his disciples to go into the city, get a colt that is tied up, it's never been ridden, uh, and then bring it back out so that he can ride it into Jerusalem. And I want you to try to picture this scene if you can. Jesus intentionally stops. He's up here on the Mount of Olives. You literally can see Jerusalem less than a mile away, down through the Kidron Valley, up through the Temple Mount. And uh, he tells his disciples to go into the city, get the colt, bring it back, and then he'll ride in. It would have been quicker if Jesus just kept walking. It took longer for him to stop, have his disciples go into town, and bring it back than it would have for him to just... He would have beat his disciples into the city if he hadn't told them what to do. So we see in this incident uh, that it is rich with theological reasons for his entry this way. This is an incredibly symbolic uh, in this incident, in this ride into Jerusalem. And I don't want you to miss it. So y'all are going to have to pay attention here because this is, there's all this prophecy and this rich meaning that is going on as we enter into Jerusalem. And I want you to try to just place yourself there uh, and to try to figure out what's going on. As he's riding in, we see what is going on from the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Y'all know where Zechariah is in the Old Testament? No? You can go back and read it. Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. That's Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious. Is he humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? So here is Jesus fulfilling ancient prophecy. In fact, this whole incident seems to be directed by Jesus, who is, who is uh, making sure this is going according to God's plan. He isn't riding into something unawares. He isn't going to be a surprise but what, by what he encounters when he enters Jerusalem. He is directing the sequence of events that leads to his death. And they bring the donkey to Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. And, and I want us, again, to get the picture in your head. He's up on the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful area. Olive trees and olive gardens. And as they go down through, through the Kidron Valley, a little valley, and you go up the hill and enter the temple. So as he's still up on the Mount of Olives, and it, it, he starts riding in. And it's evoking this other incredible image from the prophet Zechariah in which the Lord God is fighting against the nations. And it says God's feet stands on the Mount of Olives as he's looking into Jerusalem. It says this, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies uh, before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. And the Lord will become, what's the word? King. And the Lord will become king 
over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. And there shall no longer be traitors in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. This isn't coincidence. This is prophecy being fulfilled. Ancient prophecy that the Jews were awaiting. In fact, what does Jesus do right after he gets into Jerusalem? Do you remember what he does? Read that last line. And there shall no longer be traitors in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. As he enters into the temple from the Mount of Olives, he goes in and he cleans house. He overturns the tables of the traitors. And he says this is supposed to be a house of prayer. These are amazing prophecies from Zechariah that are being fulfilled by Jesus as he's riding into the city during his final week in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, you might this week go back and read part of Zechariah, especially the last part, when it talks about the oracles or these prophecies. There's other prophecies in Zechariah that we didn't even mention yet, like prophecies like God pouring out his spirit of compassion and that they will look on the one in whom they have pierced. And that on that day a fountain shall be opened up from the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin. And that living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. And that God will become the shepherd, hear this, of the sheep doomed to slaughter. And the people will weigh out the value of God. What is God's value? And they're going to pay God for his value. And what was that price that they paid in Zechariah? For God's value. Do you know? 30 pieces of silver. That's how we value God. Does it remind you of what happened on the night Jesus was betrayed? Judas went to the priests and said, what will you pay me to betray Jesus? And they said, we'll pay you 30 pieces of silver. Prophecy being fulfilled in Zechariah. And we have to understand this, that as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, it's also the week of Passover. We're going to talk about that next week, the importance of that. And and there are pilgrims in Jerusalem from all over Israel to celebrate. Rumors of Messiah are always high at Passover, and expectations are running high. And I'm sure that the rumors about Jesus and, and what he's done, his teaching and healing has filtered through Jerusalem as he's coming into the city. And, and the crowds begin to gather as they look out to the east and see a man riding a donkey down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley up into Jerusalem. Not to mention, on that day that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, was the day that the people would select the lambs to be slaughtered for the Passover. On this day, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, is the day of the selection of the lamb for slaughter. Wow. And not only does Zechariah prophesy about this day, but all the way back in Genesis, Moses wrote in Genesis 49, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washes his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. That's a weird prophecy, unless you know what Jesus came to do. 
And so the crowd gathers to witness this entourage coming into the city. And they're shouting out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they spread out their garments. In Luke, it says they spread out the garments on the ground as he's riding in. And uh, it's symbolic of their submission to him as a king. And we see images of this also in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings, this takes place when the prophet Elisha is anointing the new king Yehu. And he says in 2 Kings 9, Then hurriedly they all took their cloaks and spread them for him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Yehu is king. And as they come into the city, they would be shouting psalms of praise and the trumpets would be blowing. I hope you see that this just isn't a leisurely stroll into Jerusalem. This is an entrance ripe with theological, political, and spiritual implications. I haven't even mentioned yet that this entrance on a donkey signifies the type of king Jesus is going to be. He comes offering salvation, not a conquering military commander. He comes to bring reconciliation and peace. I hope you can picture it. Coming down the Mount of Olives, riding on the donkey. The people shouting and proclaiming, Hosanna, spreading their cloaks and the palm branches that they're waving on the ground. It's breathtaking. And as Jesus is coming into the city, the people spreading out their garments, they shout out these incredible words. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. It's a combination of of two different passages. The first comes from Psalm 118, the psalm that I read in our prayer time. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a psalm of royal entry. It's a psalm of victory. It's the psalm they would shout and proclaim as the king rides into the city after a victory. That's what they shout. But Jesus didn't conquer anybody. Why are they shouting this psalm? Because deep down, we'll see in just a second, all creation knows he is king. It was a psalm also that they would use at the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. When they were called, the Jewish people were called during that time, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to live outside in a temporary shelter that they would build. Why did they do that? It was to remind them of the 40 years they wandered in the desert when they had to live in temporary housing for 40 years and and God provided for them for those 40 years. And so God said, every year when you do the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, I want you to build temporary shelters to remind yourself of your your captivity and your freedom and that I provided for you in the desert. And as part of that Feast of Tabernacles, they would read this Psalm 118 and they would also wave palm branches in the air as a reminder of the symbol of God providing for them. And we have also the crowd singing a fragment from the chorus sang by the angels at Jesus' birth as well. Glory in the highest heaven. As Jesus enters the world in a manger, the angels proclaim glory in the highest heaven. And now as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, the crowds and the disciples disciples echo the same chorus. Glory 
in the highest heaven. For the crowd and for, for us and for the disciples, this is a time of great joy. This is a time of excitement. Just as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, for them it is the finishing of a great road trip. We're finally here. It's time to celebrate. It's time to party. It's time to see what King Jesus will bring us. But not all are excited to see Jesus, are they? We read the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they cry out to Jesus. They say, hey, order your disciples to stop this. And what does Jesus say? He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. What a response. Think about that response, though, for a second. First, it's quite offensive to the religious leaders. It's basically saying, if If they don't shout out, creation itself will shout out. It's a rebuke that even inanimate objects like rocks get it, and you're not getting it. It's a rebuke that states when an injustice takes place, if someone doesn't speak out, creation will. It is basically saying all of creation understands what is taking place. Someone better shout amen. 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 That's exactly right. Said, if these disciples don't shout out, creation will shout out because you don't understand what's going on. In fact, we see this in another prophecy from Habakkuk. The very stones will cry out from the wall and the plaster will respond from the woodwork. We call this scene Jesus' triumphal entry. I hope you can see it as such. The implications of such. It's quite a scene. And with all these prophetic scriptures in your mind, I haven't even mentioned Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. Just picture the scene in your head. It's a day ripe with significance. The king, humble, riding on a donkey, is being brought into the kingdom with shouts of joy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in highest heaven. But what comes next, we didn't read it earlier in the scripture reading, but I want us to read it now, starting with verse 41 through 44. It says this, as he came near, as he saw the city, he wept over it saying, if you, if you even only had recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you. When your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on all on every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one leave within you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Can you picture it? Jesus weeping as he's riding the donkey through the Kidron Valley, up into the temple. He weeps. In Scripture, there are only two times that we have recorded where Jesus wept. The first one was when Jesus came to the grave of his friend Lazarus. And as he's speaking with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, he weeps for his friend who is dead. This is the second time we see Jesus weeping. I didn't cry first service. 
But as he came near, he wept over it. And here's why. He says these words that all of us hate. If only. If only. If only. If only you recognized that God was here. If you only realized God is walking with you. If only you could read the signs. They're all over. If only you'd recognize this day. The day you were visited by God. They missed it. I wonder how often we miss a visitation by God. Because we're not paying attention. We forgot. We haven't studied. We haven't learned. We haven't grown. And because they do not recognize this day, he proclaims in horrifying detail the judgment that the city and these people will endure just 37 years later. Jesus now prophesies. In 70 AD, the Romans, led by a man named Titus, will burn the city to the ground, will destroy the temple. Josephus and others who were there write about that day, about how it was so hot, the rocks cried out and splintered and exploded. 600,000 Jews were killed and many more taken in captivity because they did not recognize the day they were visited by God. And Jesus weeps over the city and its future. He had come to bring peace, but there was no peace to be found. So on this day, when we remember Jesus' triumphal entry, I ask, how will you welcome the king? I don't want us to be like the religious leaders who missed the coming of God, who prided themselves on their own knowledge and understanding, but forgot about humility and love and peace. I don't want us to look back on our lives and say, if only. If only I'd paid attention. If only I'd prepared myself. If only I had prayed. If only I had been seeking after God every day. If only. Jesus is giving you an opportunity to walk with him. Right now. Will you take it? How will you welcome the king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For entering into our lives. May we be aware of your entry. May you bless our hearts, open them, soften them for you, I pray in your holy name. Amen.